that will include you and me. Let's go once again to prayer in prayer to the Lord as we open this word together. Father, we uh, we come humbly this morning, and um, I confess that Sunday mornings can be a struggle with our attitude. Um, everything from from fighting the flesh with what which wants to maybe lay in bed or do other things or well, I can just skip Sunday school or whatever uh, to to confidence in the flesh. Come in here. Uh, feeling good and and uh, maybe got some extra coffee this morning and and our and, and we feel great and we think that that uh, um, that the sin that we've grown comfortable with is somehow okay and uh, and we come in in pride and and uh, I've done this many times just coming in and, and doing the thing just checking the box I've got I've got responsibilities in church I've got stuff I got to do and I've just been convicted. Lately, again, from, from the Gospel of John here, that that uh, that you are seeking true worshipers, authentic and genuine worship, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray that that would be the case with us this morning. And that so, so often that starts with confession of sin, uh, getting our hearts right, repentance. And, and uh, so I pray you would do that this morning, even with us. Thank you to my brother Larry for his prayer. And I just echo that, that you bless your word both here and around the world this morning, in all places where believers are meeting. And uh, not all places necessarily are opening your word as they ought to and, and really expounding that. But I pray you would overrule that. Um, even as it's being read, perhaps, as just a, a, a part of a, a liturgical order of service that it would prick hearts that it would fall on ears that are opened and hearts that are receptive, Lord. And, and do that here with us. We desperately need your voice. We desperately need your voice. Thank you so much for the resurrection power that you've already given those who put their trust in you. Thank you that you have opened our ears to hear the voice of the shepherd. I pray you would speak now to us in Jesus' name. John chapter 11, famous story of the raising of... Lazarus. Oh, you got one more. I do, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Nick. Yeah. Sorry about that. There you go. <clears throat> We've been through the first part of this, uh, that opening part, um, where I'm trying to lay out the case. I think this is the most significant public miracle, emphasis on public, the most sig significant sign that Jesus. Uh, ever did in his ministry is his own resurrection okay but it was it was essentially a private miracle he didn't walk up out of the tomb and go immediately to the temple and 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 effectively say hey you failed it's time for me to be the messiah right that i'm supposed to be no it was uh he showed himself but he showed himself to his disciples and to his followers okay uh, Paul tells us that at one point uh, as many as 500 people at one time did witness his resurrection refuting any possible um, arguments counter arguments from his enemies that that a few um, really zealous hopeful 
disciples like Mary Magdalene hallucinated in their eagerness to see him again, right? And, and so it's hard for 500 people to hallucinate the same thing, right? Um, but the point is, even with that, you know, that high point of, of witness, uh, it was still a private miracle. And so this raising of Lazarus is the, John is the only gospel that tells us about it. And as I've mentioned to you, um, he does so, I think it's very clear from the text, uh, many years later after the first three gospels are written and circulated and widely known in the in early church, he writes this gospel to come back around after years of ministry as, as an apostle, you know, as one of the foremost apostles, right, and, and teachers and preachers of the word uh, in the church. Um, lots of people, I'm sure, came up to him through the years and asked him for details about, well, the gospel says this, but, you know. And uh, so I mentioned to you that, that this is such, such is the case with, with chapter 11 here. Because without knowing this background, we don't really fully understand what's happening uh, in the, the uh, what we call today the triumphal entry. Uh, I like the term presentation of the king. That's the title that John MacArthur uses in his book, uh, One Perfect Life, uh, because I think the triumphal entry is yet future. Okay. Um, but you, you know what I mean when I say that, right? That, they came and Jesus rode in on the back of the of the donkey and, and 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 it wasn't just his disciples it was a lot of people there who had come for the feast uh, and Passover and John particularly puts an emphasis on helping us tie this story of Lazarus into that and, and so that we understand where all of that enthusiasm came from to to receive him as he rode in Jerusalem okay so the other Gospels don't mention it. They, they do talk about triumphal entry, but they don't give us this background. And so uh, the reason I say most significant public miracle, again, is because, um, and, and I say that I can be wrong, sir, sure. You know, you can argue about, you know, maybe it was feeding of the 5,000 or 20,000, 20, 25,000 by the time you, you add all the women and children uh, into that number. Um, yeah, that's very, very significant. Uh, the calming of the storm, small, pretty small audience for that, you know, um, but still to show his power, we saw that in Mark, right? To, to show his power over the elements, be able to speak to them and they obey. But the power over death is irrefutably God's alone. Nobody else has this power. Satan can't duplicate this, you know, even. Um, it, it, fakers and, tricker, and, and, and trickery, uh, we, have, we have some really, really clever um, magicians today, right? The illusionists that do really fantastic things. I remember years ago, I got to see David Copperfield live in Greenville. That was really something. I mean, you know, he made this car like appear out of nowhere, seemingly. Um, but nobody can raise the dead. Not genuinely. Not we, we have some pretty amazing uh, uh, um, technology available to us today to bring people back from, and it's really popular today, these near-death experiences. Don't get me started on that. Um, 
and, and these uh, visits to heaven that people claim and some claim to go to hell and all that. Okay, but but those are those when those happen, they are like within minutes or maybe maybe an hour tops. There's a there's a one pastor that claims that he was 90 minutes in heaven. He was dead for 90 minutes. Um, maybe so. I'm not saying the Lord can't do that, but what I'm saying is that when Jesus stands outside the tomb of this man who's been dead for four days and you smell the smell of death, there's no mistaking that miracle. And the people who saw it, it was in front of, it was a public miracle, great public, we'll see that. People who saw it were amazed, just absolutely amazed. And that explains their enthusiasm of um, some also, weeks later when they come back to the Passover and he rides into Jerusalem. Also, the, uh, the Jesus, after he raised him, told the people to loose him and let him go, which means they had to go through the process of unwrapping all that stuff. And they already started to smell and decay, and so it was very obvious that he was really dead. The people were there, they went. All right, so that's all background. Remember that also that our text here, uh, one through sixteen. One of the things, that, one of the, uh, another thing I wanted to, to mention <clears throat> as we as we get into the text is that the miracle itself only occupies about two or three verses, depending on how you want to parse it out of the text. Okay, whether you want to include Jesus' prayer to the Father first and then His command. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very small amount. But look at that chapter. This is, I mean, this is a big chapter. This, this goes, this has uh, 57 verses in it, okay? That's big. Um, and so what's interesting to me as I've been studying this um, is that John really goes into a lot of detail to tell you all the things that happened before and then the things that happened after, right? So we've been using, in my mind, we've sort of been using this illustration of a mountain. It's like the chapter is like a mountain. The, the miracle itself is a pinnacle up here, but it's pretty small. You know, the, the top of the mountain is pretty small. There's there's a long trek up there, and then there's a long trek back down. You know, the things that lead up to that miracle, and then the things that happen afterwards. Uh, so this chapter is is very significant, and and it just highlights the fact again that I think that John is 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 yes, he wants to draw our attention to that sign, but he wants to set. It's very important to set the full stage so that we understand everything that's going to happen after that. Okay. Very important that we understand not just uh, this is real. Can I be frank with you? Uh, the way that John pre presents this, this is the real uh, uh, stone that starts this, the small stone, 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 and leads to the uh, avalanche of, of the crucifixion. Okay. Uh, what Judas does, and the Lord dismisses him, and we'll see that in chapter 13. Uh, is part of that, but this really triggers a, 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 an amazing response from from the people, right? So you had the people who were very enthusiastic and excited to welcome him in triumphal entry, but then you also in chapter eleven, and John again is the only one who who presents this to us uh, in chapter eleven. You have this emergency session of the Sanhedrin. This forces them to 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 get really serious about their continued annoyance with him and, and their, the attempts that they had made off and on to arrest him or to stone him, okay? And now they get very serious about it. And they it's almost like a, a, a Roman uh, bull, you know, where, the, where the, um, the Pope puts an edict out and, and, you know, I'm tired of this 
pesky uh, heretic over here, so I'm going to make a formal announcement. Anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll see that when we get there. This, the events that lead up to this really uh, 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 start in chapter 10, right? So let's back up a, a minute there. Let's read uh, verses 40 through 42 uh, of chapter 10. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. So coming out of chapter 10, remember, uh, I am the good shepherd, right? I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. That's all in chapter 10. And then the latter part of chapter 10, we kind of, a couple months later, after the first part of chapter 10, he's back in the temple, walking in Solomon's portico on the eastern side of, of the remnants of, of Solomon's temple that were still the ruins that were still there. And, and he's surrounded by this angry mob of leaders who want to, to trap him and look for any excuse to stone him on the spot. And he escapes from that. And then he goes from that hot spot of that angry crowd where the disciples, <laughs> like they get, I guarantee you the adrenaline was running. Okay, we read it, it sounds pretty innocuous, but, but to them it was, it was a vivid memory. And they leave there and they go back to where John the Baptist first started his ministry and they stay put. And Jesus, and I'm, I mentioned to you that all the Gospels talk about this transition. Uh, Jesus' ministry at the very beginning, he's traveling around, he's going to a lot of different villages and towns, he's healing people, he's preaching the Gospel. But as the nation, it, as his ministry is wrapping, wrapping up and more and more people are saying no to him, or, well, that's fine, that's, a, that's an amazing thing person and everything, but I got my business and I got my marriage and things over here, um, you know, and more and more people are kind of uh, getting used to him, you might say, if not outright opposing him. Um, he, he, he's fin you really get the sense at the end of chapter 10 that he's wrapping up that ministry and, and he's staying put in one place. And it's a warm reception. Unlike Jerusalem, right? where they tried to, to, to surround him and stone him there, these people are believing in him and the disciples are, are really into that and, and are, are enjoying this. And so that's important because as we get into our text, uh, we, it helps us understand their reluctance to go back to, to Jerusalem. And this is all ground we've covered, so that's why I'm moving fast. So point number one in your outline, verses one through four, the news of Lazarus's sickness comes to Jesus, right? Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That, that little phrase right there gives us a clue that John expects that his audience has already read the other Gospels. They... This is the first time Jesus or John has mentioned these people, right? But they are acquainted with it. Now he's going to talk about that story uh, of where Mary anoints the Lord with that ointment here in chapter 12, but he hasn't gotten there yet. Okay, so here for his audience, he's saying, hey, you guys remember those other gospel stories? Okay, you know, he just refers back to them. He's going to come back and revisit that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, in chapter 12. 
But so the sisters sent to him, verse 3, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, so the news of Jesus, of, of Lazarus' illness comes to them. That's the first four verses. Now, now point number two, Jesus' strange reaction to the news. Okay, so John is, 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 is making sure that we understand. Again, there's, there's a lot of detail here, right? John wants us to know for sure, and he's gonna see, we're going to see that um, in, these, in these next two verses reiterated again, that, that these people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were dear to Jesus. That's important because it's going to look like he doesn't care by his delay, right? It's going to look like that. It's going to look like he doesn't care. And that's an important, there's an important lesson here too that I think the Holy Spirit is teaching us through this, especially as we get into the text more. And I've been working on the next set of notes. Uh, and I just reminded again, Mary Martha's disappointment with him, right? And can I say that, you know, if you haven't been disappointed with your walk with the Lord in your walk yet, just stick around. Uh, there's going to come times where it's going to seem like uh, he's just not paying attention, or maybe he doesn't care, or it's like, why are you doing, I mean, you, you know, on the one hand, your head is telling you all the promises of scripture, I'll never leave you, forsake you, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, right? The scriptures will come to your mind, but then there's this other part of you which is like, well, where is he, right? Where is he? Why isn't he coming through? I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about this. Paul struggled with that too. Remember what the Lord told him? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, that's part of that humbling process we talked about earlier. Paul had to find out the same thing that we, we do, and that is that pride is power repellent. When you think you've got it all under control and you're doing what you're doing for the Lord, and, you know, the Lord's like, there's not much I can do to that. I need to bring you to a place where you are in circumstances that are way too big for you so that you know that I am God and Lord of these circumstances and Lord of your life. Okay? Uh, so, John goes out of his way to let us know that these people were, were in fact dear to Jesus. He loved them. When it says there, the, messengers, the messenger comes and says, uh, he whom you love is ill, he's not lying. Jesus doesn't say, I don't, Lazarus who? You know? No, he, he, he is telling the truth. And so, and so John reiterates that as point number two here, five and six. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Next verse. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Now, we all know the story, right? We know how the outcome. We know what's going to happen. And so it's easy for us to look at this and say, We understand. They didn't know. They didn't know that. It's very important for us to put ourselves in the mindset of the disciples and of Mary and Martha. 
as well, okay? Because again, like I say, you will be there if you haven't already more than once in your walk with the Lord. There will be those times where it's like, what, what are you waiting on? I was talking to Erica, you know, with our girls. Uh, we pray and pray. There's no day goes by we'll pray about them. We pray for them. And, and, uh, and they're concerned about them. And I think about some of their friends, you know, who, who I know who need the Lord and, and, and others. <clears throat> I see Veda a lot and pray for them. It's like, what are you waiting on, Lord? Um, the Lord knows. He's not ignorant. And it doesn't, and, and listen, just because God delays on something, doesn't mean he is unconcerned or that he doesn't love you or love the people that are dear to you that you're praying about. He has a purpose in that. And we need to just let God be God. That is so hard for us. Okay. But it's hard for them too. And that's the encouraging thing is that he's patient with them, with his disciples, Mary and Martha in this. He's patient with us too. So point number three seven through eight this we finished this last time point four is where we're headed um verse seven then after this he said to the disciples let us go to judea again the disciples said to him rabbi the jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again <laughs> right you can hear that right that hey the, these people here in this area like you Remember, it was just a few weeks ago when they in Jerusalem were trying to stone you. Jesus, we were there. We remember. Did you remember that angry mob that surrounded you in the temple? And they were they were picking up stone. They already they were red in the face. They could hardly talk. They were so angry. Right? You, do you remember that? So you can understand. <clears throat> the disciples' reluctance, especially two days later. So the, the urgency of this message has come and kind of gone, right? You, 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 the initial shock is over two days later, and they're, and they're kind of settling back down to the comfortable, well, you know, Lord, are you sure you want to go back there? So point number four, Jesus displays trust in God's perfect timing. <clears throat> These verses are, are were a little bit of a puzzle, uh, so we'll talk about them here uh, um, and hopefully make a little more sense out of this. So his, his disciples, Jesus, don't you remember they're trying to kill you? Verse 9 says, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. What in the world does he mean by his response in verses nine through 10? I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, I don't know, I would have said that at all, but just like, listen, he's, he's died. And we're going to go raise it. Right? I mean, it's, what is Jesus trying to communicate here in verses 9 and 10? That seemed a little incongruent. The Bible talks about the light a lot. Particularly so this gospel. Um, especially this gospel. Yeah. And so he's talking about the, the world's, uh, he says, stumble. 
we know that it, it's in some passages it talks about a lot of done in the dark, that evil is done in the dark. So it gives you kind of a, a good bad method. Light is good, dark is bad. But he's talking about the world stumbling, that they're going to see the light. I think what he's trying to do there is trying to show them that what the world is and that he is the light. Because doesn't he come up here soon and, and, and um, just does it? I know it's not the thing that I read ahead, but he's telling him the resurrection of the light. So he's trying to tell them, hey, I am the light. We're, we're in a dark world. And I think it's to their own benefit so they will understand exactly who he is. I mean, I know they know who he is, but this is going to be major, a major. Now, there again, we just got out of this thing with Mark. That was for their benefit as well. So it's funny because as you see the disciples go, from my point of view, it's like they see this. See this? Okay, okay. He just has to keep reminding them. Like same one he does with us, especially me. I have to just keep reminding who Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is. I think that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to drive that home who he is. That lesson. Okay. I think also it helps to distinguish between the type of death that Lazarus is going through and the people who What does that have to do with nine and ten? Well, what is he saying now? Uh, he's going to be, come and explain to them that he is the resurrection. He is the life. I think the disciples were always, I mean, they couldn't help but be concerned um, for Satan. And that's what they're saying, you know, and that's what they're thinking when they were like, oh. You know, and they're just thinking about that because we think about that. I mean, we're just people, you know, there's human beings. And, you know, we're not looking for times to jump into danger. Um, and so they're trying to protect him, you know, but they don't realize that his focus is on whatever the Father's plan is. And he's going to die when the time comes. Um, when it's the point in time, that, that's when it's going to happen. I mean, all these mobs that he's walked through and everything like that. <clears throat> I mean, they could have killed him then, mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> it didn't happen. You know, and Jesus knew that. Mm -hmm. But he kept trying to relay that to his disciples. But, I mean, they looked through earthly eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, we do too. Missionaries, you know, on Emmanuel, the next week, or something that's the same for the mission for the martyrs. Uh, <clears throat> a recognition of that also and um you read their testimonies they say the exact same thing it's like people around them are like okay nobody's ever been there before you're going to die and they're like it's okay i'm focused this is what i'm doing this is this is what this is what god has appointed me to do if i die i die and if i don't i don't keep on going i think jesus is doing the same thing he's just like there's only so many hours that I've got left to do this. There's going to be a time. I now know that there is an appointed time. So, does that make sense? Kind Absolutely. Sort of yep. like one, right? No, I, I think I think that you're right on target there. Um, whenever you encounter a text of scripture that is, uh, some some people call them difficult. I wouldn't put this in the class of a difficult saying. Okay, but but there are some that uh, difficult sayings of Jesus. You may have heard of that. Um, or 
in, in this case, it's a proverb that he's giving in response. And it seems a little, you know, it's like, what, what relationship does that have to do with the context that we're in? But, 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 uh, but you're right in the sense that what you need to do it, when you, you come across a text in the Bible that makes you say, huh, what does that mean? What is going on here? Context is king. Okay, context is king. Keep the context in mind and keep either keep reading or go back up and, and reread again what you've read. And you know what I'm saying? So, so take that text. Let's see what happened again coming up and let's keep reading. In this case, if we keep reading, and if you want to write these down out to the side there, uh, chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, and then again, 44 through 46, I think give us some more insight into what Jesus means here. Chapter 12, verses 35 through 36, and then also 44 through 46. So chapter 12 <clears throat> really is kind of a wrap-up of Jesus's public ministry. There's almost a, uh, when we get there, the, the way I'm, I'm kind of outlining this is um, uh, sort of an epilogue. You know, uh, John starts his, his gospel with a prologue, uh, right? First 18 verses of chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, word, and it kind of gives us that setup for the gospel. Well, here in chapter 12, especially the latter part, there's this, sort of epilogue on his public ministry, okay, he caps it off. Um, but it's in that context that we have our verses um, in that sort of capping off or recapping of Jesus' ministry. So verse 35 and 36 say this, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That, that, that verse, that last latter part of verse 36 right there is the end of his public ministry. That's a statement that says that Jesus effectively stopped ministering in public. All intents and purposes. And his attention turns to his focusing really on his disciples. And we're going to see that in chapters 13 through 17. But what is he saying there? He's basically telling this is kind of like the final call to the nation Israel and anybody who's still listening to pay attention to him in the light, uh, as the light, and to walk in that truth while they still have the opportunity okay so the proverb here the the idea behind this is that there is a that god is on a schedule and jesus's public ministry is about to be wrapped up and if you haven't been paying attention to this point now is your last opportunity before the light is cut off and you go back to darkness and stumbling in darkness now, it is true, and, and Rick's point is good, that as, in, not just in John's gospel, but if, when you read his, his uh, epistles and then also in Revelation, but particularly those two, the first epistle and the gospel of John, uh, 
John really brings, he really is big on light, right? Light versus darkness. And, you know, those who, who uh, uh, light is a metaphor for truth versus, uh, you know, um, deception being darkness, right? Darkness is a metaphor for deception. Anyway, I'm not trying to confuse this. What I'm trying to say is that while you have the truth, walk in the truth, believe the truth. If you say no to it, you will slip back into a place where it's confusing, right? And, and so then let's look at um, verses 44 through 46 as well. Uh, then Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Let's go back to our chapter. With that in mind, these verses, verses 9 through 10, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world, right? So that's clearly... A metaphor he's talking about something we all understand you know it's daylight right now and you walk out there you don't need to turn the light on we don't need floodlights so you can see just fine go back out to your car or go you know kick ball around in soccer or whatever you're doing out there okay um, <clears throat> but if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him there comes a time when the daylight ends and the darkness of night begins, okay? And what Jesus is telling in that illustration to his disciples is that you guys don't need to worry about God's sovereignty and timing in my ministry. If it is the Lord's will, if you will, which it is, for me to go back to Judea, even though it's, now, Bethany, as we saw, is two miles away from Jerusalem. So it's basically a suburb of Jerusalem, okay? But if it's God's will for us to leave this place of comfortable acceptance that people are friendly here and they're believing in me, and to leave that and go back to hostile territory, we are in no danger because it is God's timing. Now, like... <laughs> The reason this is such a great statement in the context of everything that's being said is not only is it God's timing for him to go back there and to be protected from the enemies who are right there, right, and who want to stone him, but it is also God's timing for him to come back at just the right time where there is a full audience of people who are there to comfort Mary and Martha well-connected, wealthy people who are there at just the right time to see this miracle, okay? What Jesus, and that's why I, I uh, this point number four, I expressed it this way, that Jesus displays trust in God's perfect timing. What he's trying to, sell, to tell them in this, in this proverb, in this illustration, is that... Um, while you have God's protection, you're fine. Kind of like what you're saying about those missionaries. It's the same thing. You can take comfort in God's promises. Even when it looks like 
from a human point of view that all hell is about to break loose or I'm, 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 things are really going down fast. And so we struggle with this because the way Paul says it in, in 2 Corinthians 5 is we walk by faith and what? Not by sight. So while you have the light of this world and you understand that, you may be walking in daylight, um, others are stumbling around in darkness because they don't know what's going on. And they're stressed and they're anxious. Remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount too, right? He says the same thing. He says, do not worry about your clothing and where you will live and, and all of that. Your Father in heaven knows you need these things, right? But seek for him first, his kingdom. The pagans run around and they chase all this stuff and they devote their lives to these things because they stumble in darkness. But you as sons of light, chapter 12, right? Walk in the light and may become sons of light. People who practice trust in God because you know his promises and you know his character, and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is the good shepherd who, who is calling you out of the fold where you were to his fold. He will finish the work. He will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his timing, and you can rest in that, and you can have even a boldness in that, and you can walk while others are stumbling. I believe that's what he's saying here. Is that not sort of what he was saying in John 3, where he says that... Uh... Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And he said that that coming of light is the judgment. This is the judgment that men love darkness. So it's a it's a revelation or a judgment or a point of separation between all men in the way that's not right. response to Christ. That's right. That's right. It's an important metaphor, important point in the whole gospel, in fact. That God is in control. We see that throughout the whole gospel. Right? It's on chapter four where he had that. So again, to, to the disciples' point of view, Lord, why are you talking to this woman at the well? Right? But he had an appointment, right? He said, I, I have to go through Samaria. I have to go through. I have to do this. Yeah, when I was way to do it. So God is in control. That's the point here. All right, there, verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, now he's, he's talking plainly. Our, notice that, our friend, okay? Um, this family, like I had said to you, uh, is wealthy. Uh, it, I believe because Martha's name is mentioned many times uh, in front of Mary's uh, in the Gospels that it was predominantly her wealth, her estate, if you will. It doesn't tell us how she got that or whatever, her house. Maybe she was a widow of a, of a wealthy husband and died. It doesn't say, or maybe he's not dead. I don't know. It's just never mentioned. But whatever, whatever the case, they were well off, and it was a place that Jesus and his disciples stayed frequently when they would come down to Jerusalem and Judea, evidently, okay? So our friend, okay? He's not just, he's not just, these are my friends, right? The disciples knew them too, and they were, this, these three people were very um, close to everybody. Our friend Lazarus. It's falling asleep, but I go to awaken him. Okay, well, we can't leave it there, right? We gotta, we gotta go to point five, uh, and we'll finish this up. And more, and more willing, we'll get to the next notes on the I am resurrection, the life statement next week. So, point number five: the disciples continued reluctance, and Jesus's fuller explanation. 
Okay, 12 uh, through 16. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> That's kind of some humor here, right? And, and, and I'm sure John, as he's writing this, probably that wasn't lost on him either, right? And as he's reflecting on this many years later as a much older, wiser uh, man, just kind of shaking his head, and, man, we had no idea what was going on, okay? But again, he's going through these details to pull us back into the circumstances because he knows that that we can very, very much relate to the lesson here. And, and the key word, by the way, is finally brought out. The key word for this whole chapter is the word believe. The whole chapter is about belief. Those who believe and those who do not. And, the, and, the, and for those who believe, what's interesting is, for those who do believe, his disciples and Mary and Martha among them, okay, there's still a struggle with this seeming contradiction because I see him acting this way, and yet I know his heart of love over here and his promises, and I know he has the, you see that with Martha and her response, Lord, if you'd only been here in time, yet I know God will give you whatever you ask, right? There's, you can hear it in her, you can hear this wrestling, this dichotomy in her response to him. Lord, you're late. Why, why did you wait so long? Yet I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give to you, right? And aren't we there? Yeah, yeah that, that is my walk every day to one degree or another. Sometimes it's really, wow, you know, most of the time. But we, we, we walk in this world where there's the light or the darkness every day. You know, are you... Are you living in God's truth? Are you walking by faith today or are you walking by sight? You know, and, and, and you can always kind of tell when you're in the flesh, right? Because your your favorite sins kind of crop up again, like whack-a-mole, you know. There they are again. You know, there's that worry. There's that stress and, and anger, and your your voice is getting more elevated, honey. Come on. Right? Or whatever it is. All right. Um, getting fussy with people in traffic, you're not patient with them, oh. not looking at anybody. Um, <laughs> these, these, kinds of, these kinds of things are all symptoms of this deeper problem of who are you trusting today, right? Who are you trusting today? Who am I trusting? So quickly, 12 disciples, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. It's an understandable thing. They, they misunderstand that, okay, Lord, let him sleep, right? You know what? Again, I hear some reluctance in this, right? They're, they they really don't want to go. Let's face it, you know, okay, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, you know, he'll get better. No. Hey, but again, I'm sorry, I didn't. Is there, is there a difference in the words faith and belief? 
I think the belief is 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 an avenue. Belief is an avenue through which um, faith continues to grow. Okay, belief has to happen first. You do have to see or hear the truth or see the miracle or whatever it is. Um, but then you come, the, you see it, and you can't like the 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 leaders in the Pharisees in chapter nine, they couldn't deny the miracle. They tried and tried and tried to deny the miracle of the healing of the man born blind. But but eventually they were forced to admit it. And well, yeah, we believe that happened. But they didn't take the next step of saying, well, let's go to the right conclusion based on what we now believe of faith and putting our faith and trust. I think of the word conviction often when I think of faith. Okay. And we've talked about this before, two definitions of faith. There's the faith, capital F faith, which is which is the whole body of truth uh, that, that's our doctrine uh, about God. You know, Jude talks about contending for the faith, right? But then there's my faith or, or, or faith personally as that the part of that truth that I have assimilated and become convicted of and convinced of myself and that I rest my trust in permanently that makes sense and belief is part of that but but what the what the bible what sanctification is trying to do is help us to grow in our faith now faith comes from god all right ephesians uh, 2 8 9 makes that clear god gives us the faith in, in, in you know like a seed in a way but it continues to grow we cooperate with him the holy spirit and it will grow so that you um, you can not waver so much, oh, you of little faith. And I say no faith, little faith. Uh, again, Romans, uh, time is, is a huge question. Right? <laughs> um, but Romans 14, Paul also talks about those who are, who are, are uh, weak in faith versus those who are stronger in faith and contrast how they are to live together. And, and you've said it many times, and you're right, that, that you know, all believers are in various places on our, our road of faith, that we're growing in faith. Sometimes, you know, um, when you're a young believer, you know, you're easily shaken by circumstances. As you get older and you see God's faithfulness again and again and again and again, it, it grows into a, a more solid inner conviction that is stable. And it's not as easily battered around by circumstances. Does that make sense? Maybe maybe that helps a little. Um, that's a good question. All right. So Jesus spoke in verse thirty-four of his uh, death. I'm sorry, verse thirteen. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may what. Believe, but now let us go to him. Didn't they believe already? Like I say, I think. I mean, many times you just kept saying, "Yeah, what I want to take, what I take." And then he also had told them in fourteen when he goes away because they they still didn't want to believe this. 
I mean, I, I, I think they knew it, but in their heart, they didn't want it. So he always he tells them, I'm going to send a comfort to you. There's going to be one like me. So he keeps telling this, and they kept that refresh your memory. But what I find funny is when Thomas says, I think he's sarcastic here, saying, Who's going to go die? You know? I think he was, <clears throat> he knew he, he needed to follow Jesus, but how many times throughout the scripture before this, we've heard about him being stoned? Afraid for his life. Is that what you get out of that? That he was he's saying that about his death, about him dying. You told me that goes on confidence. That time when we when suffers is we're completely different because the Jews was trying to raise their faith to the belief, to the miracles. It was making miracles, they saw, they believed. But it was Jesus. Now we have a faith. We didn't see those miracles. But that faith you mentioned before, it works through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will be drawn inside our hearts and we, we grow the faith. We didn't see those miracles, but we trust and we do this thing. That time when Jesus was there, Holy Spirit didn't do the job because the Jesus himself was showing the miracles and they've been trying through the miracles and believe, grow faith. When Jesus died and resurrected, the Holy Spirit started to do the, uh, the job, and that's why the faith started to grow and grow inside. So the disciples, those time disciples, they just have to see in order to believe and have faith. That's, yeah. That's, that's what you said before, too. You mentioned exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's they're still a, very much a work in progress, right? Yeah, work in progress. The yeah. Holy Spirit is not around them yet, but yeah. Jesus himself. God Himself around them. Exactly. So when the God, God, the Holy Spirit started to grow, that's why they, they started to grow the faith. We we cut our faith to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is working inside of us. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and and, and you'll see that actually when we get into chapters uh, uh, right at the very end of the Ephraim discourse, just before his high priestly prayer, uh, he tells them. Um, uh, look, this is chapter 16, just listen. Chapter 16, verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now that you are speaking plainly and are not using figurative language, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. It's like, yeah. It's like, still doubts. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, how many times? You saw Lazarus. You saw the man born blind. You saw... He's still walking on the water and still doesn't believe. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's, a, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that does Holy Spirit. Yet. Not that is true. That is true. And it's not just, that's why I say belief is the key word in this whole chapter. You're going to see it come up again and again, especially for uh, his conversation with Martha when she comes. And he'll even ask her right after the powerful statement he makes, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, he believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and he who lives and believes in me. Will never die. What's the next statement? Do you believe this? You know, it's almost like, okay, look, look, we've got a long way to go into faith and into the ultimately into the kingdom of God. But just take that next step of belief. You, you, you see this in front of you, you have a choice. Do you believe it or not? You're going to take that next step. And, 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 and I think that's what, what we're trying to say here to Larry in terms of faith is, you know, with our own 
lives as we see the Lord. You know, the scripture talks about our life as a walk, right? Step by step by step by step. As I, as I live each day and I make the choices and I face the circumstances, do I trust God? Do I, do I you know, am I in this situation where that's why spending time with him is so important in the morning because it, it helps you to get your brain back into the right perspective. So you at least have a fighting chance throughout the day that you remember who's in control, right? And in that then, those steps of belief those choices of belief that those that results in, in obedience contributes to your faith and you grow little by little and you get stronger in your conviction that he is God, he is in charge. I was listening to the sermon of the Jack Heaps, and he just mentioned one piece I loved it, and he said, You know when we're gonna be in heaven and reign with the with the Jesus, you know what we are not gonna have there? Everybody was listening. We are not going to have faith because we will not need faith anymore when we're going to be in heaven. That's right. No more faith there. That's we right. have faith now, but there we don't need that anymore. Your faith will be sight. Here, Your faith that will be sight. Good comments. I love it. Yeah. That's why. That's why Jesus or, or Paul says that uh, these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, because it's, it's the thing we have now that we walk in. We trust in that we try to practice with one another and grow in and it will also be what carries us through eternity as well but you're right faith and hope will be done away with that point well, well, love, just love will remain that's good all right well we are out of time uh just a quick comment on thomas's weird statement there i think i think what he's doing is showing the despair of the disciples well, let's just go. Let's go with him because he says it to the rest of them. Let's go with him and just die. We're just going to. What's interesting is the text, Jesus doesn't comment on it. It's, there's no commentary. It's just, I think John throws that in there to help us understand the despair and the, the darkness that the disciples were feeling and Mary and Martha as well. They were wrestling with this. This just this battle, right? Do I believe? Do I not believe? What, what's going on? The circumstances don't look that way, but I know Jesus and I know his heart. And I know he can, God will give him any. Well, Martha's comment to Jesus expresses that so well. And I think Thomas is, is just saying that, well, we'll just, just, we'll just go die with it. <laughs> well, as Rick said, he probably sarcastic. You know, Tom. Yeah. Thomas is the child of Thomas. He probably sarcastic. Yeah. All right. Father, there's so much here in the text, and we, we enjoy your word. Um, thank you so much that, that these are real people we're talking about. These are not, <clears throat> we can see, as Nick rightly said, that <laughs> we were expecting the great apostles to stand firm here, and, and but it's not. These are, these, are, these are ordinary boys, and one preacher calls them out on the radio i think it's a good way to say it the boys they're young men they're really very immature still and just in general and yet uh, even in their in their faith and their understanding of what you're doing but you know we're the same way in so many respects and, and even after years years of walking with you we still wrestle with this doubt on the one hand and this wanting to believe 
and the faith. And I thank you as that song that uh, that we've been learning says that he will hold me fast. Thank you that you are the great shepherd. Uh, you and the Father hold us fast. Uh, you have given us saving faith. You have um, appointed us before the world began, written our name in, in your book. You have accomplished everything, and and you will bring it to completion. And even when we waver and we 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 pitch a fit and we we get angry or we get fearful of these other things, you are still very patient with us, just like you were with them. And you are working through these circumstances to build our faith, so that one day when we see it all. We can give you the glory and say, I would not be here were it not for you. And so thank you for that truth in our lives as well. Help us as we uh, uh, prepare for service this morning, have our hearts in the right place. In Jesus' name.